0: Hello, and welcome to the Habibi Collective podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider donating towards our Patreon on the Habibi Collective website. It really goes a long way. Um, this is the fifth episode of this series. And my name is Nur. Hello, and I am joined today by Hisham Fakir. Um, Saudi comedian, actor, artist, and so much more. So, Hisham, first questions. Uh, Can you tell us a bit why you chose humor as a tool of communication for like activism and like the challenges that you might have faced for doing satire?
1: Challenges. Uh, It's funny. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I don't think the challenges have been as difficult as they should have been you know i was really lucky yeah to come in at a time and place where there was a renaissance if you will because of youtube arriving to to saudi arabia specifically and we were so so disruptive to like traditional media that they didn't know what to do with us. They're like, okay, well, this guy is obviously crazy because he's not presentable because he doesn't know what he's doing. So I, I played into that persona and I just was able to say anything I wanted so long as I reversed my yeah. rhetoric. Yeah. And it was really fun. I had a lot of, I was shocked to see that it was working. I was very much enchanted and excited to be heard for the first time, you know, like mm-hmm. my whole entire childhood was riddled with negligence. So mm. a big part of it is like, Oh my God, they're finally listening <laughs> to me. I mean, it all comes to my mommy and daddy issues. But mm. I, when it when I sort of realized like, okay, there was a novelty of me doing something different,
0: yeah,
1: using new media to disrupt traditional media. So everybody just assumed that was crazy. And I played into that. I said a lot of stuff that I've always wanted to say under the clause, under the clause of being crazy. And I, it was beautiful and enchanting. And then I'd go in the street and they'd be like, hey, you're that moron. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it, it broke it broke my heart because suddenly I yeah. was like, oh, this is this is backfiring. Yeah. And I'm talking like, I'm obviously condensing and this took many, many years. And like some days I would feel more playful. I'd be like, yeah, I'm a dumbass," you know, but other days I'd just be like, no, no, I'm really smart. I have a master's, please respect me. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: And then I realized like it's my problem with like how I'm approaching the world. Because even if some people were like half in on the joke, Mm -hmm. I approached my work with so much irony that the like sincerity really just completely dissipated and it was obliterated. Mm. and um yeah there's a quote by I think it was Donald Glover who said you know like irony is easy but sincerity is hard and and that's what I like I've really come into this over the past couple years now and I'm just fundamentally trying to approach life with sincerity Um, my stories Mm -hmm. with sincerity and I don't want to like the humor is the thing that comes naturally to me it's how i grew up i was a class clown my father is a very 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 funny man and he just used to be sarcastic with us so that that timing is ingrained in my subconscious and in my unconscious if you will yeah but and i love it and i can play with it but it's also like if you become too ironic uh, i just feel like it's a waste and it feels like a missed opportunity because you're disrespecting everything. Yeah.
0: There's another
1: quote that I love that says, um, if those in this life are not sacred, then nothing that's a part of it can be sacred either. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's what I that's how I think of things. If it's if it's all a joke, then nothing matters. And that's a very nihilistic place to be.
0: Yeah.
1: Intellectually, existentially, emotionally, psychologically. And um, I don't want to go there. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So, like, I was going to ask you how you think comedy fits into, like, activism, because, like, the big bulk of independent movies who denounce, like, political injustice, who are coming out of the Arab world mostly are documentaries. And, um, but I think you you answered uh, (laughs) my question here.
1: There, there's one thing that I do want to talk about is the, the didactic nature uh, especially in my country I won't you know I won't reduce the whole entire yeah. Arab world but like my country we come from a tradition of you know kids born in the 80s and 90s and we're taught like this is how you act and this is why you do this everything had a message yeah. and all the tv we grew up on all the cassette tapes we listened to were all telling us you have to do this or you will die and go to hell and rot you know (laughs) and and so then the comedy became this is wrong and this is why I'm smart and this is what you have to do it became prescriptive and it became the uh, ironically it became like the the inverse of that didactic dynamic and it was very frustrating Mm. to see all of us fall into that the thing that we hated the most yeah. And because again, it was like in our subconsciousness of um of how we grew up and how we heard. So it really comes out when you're like pressed up against the wall and you're put in a hard place where you have to like make take a position. Mm-hmm. So you end up going again the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Comedy, you know, satire. I say the defining factor in satire is punching up. That's, I I refuse to acknowledge satire that attacks or sorry comedy that attacks marginalized people or reinforces you know oppression yeah. hegemony I refuse to acknowledge that as satire I think that's just that's just evil mm-hmm. and I see satire as something sacred yeah. um, and actually when I was studying for many many years I studied this like a like a nerd and you know I studied in academic journals and I was writing my thesis on this everybody was saying like comedy is naturally more quote-unquote liberal and it tends to be more quote-unquote again progressive Mm -hmm. and after I finished my thesis like we started seeing alt-right comedy in America and and then of course uh, there was a coinciding of like if something was critical of the state, say in Saudi Arabia, you would see that same entire same style be co-opted by the state and then make something critical of the like quote unquote liberal class or the oppositional rhetoric. Yeah. I know I'm speaking very like abstractly now, and I'm I'm trying to be like vague but also informative, so I don't get myself in trouble. But it's um yeah, of course, comedy. I mean joking is a big part of bullying, picking yeah. on someone's insecurity. So comedy can go either way and 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 conscious comedy or you know comedy that intersects with activism is very tricky because yes. at any moment it can pivot. And also like I said this, I say this privately a lot. I don't know how much I say this publicly, but comedy is the thing that east, sorry ages with the least grace. yeah. yeah. Any, yeah. When, I look at, when I look at comedy from five years ago, I'm like, oh, that sort of sucks. There yeah. isn't comedy that is timeless in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, it's always part of a specific zeitgeist. And the biggest laughs that you've ever had in your life are with your best friends because it's a very temporal moment, a specific context. And it's all based on the details, the devil's in the detail. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, comedy doesn't have a shelf life it's very dangerous and it's it's really hard to do when you're depressed or disenchanted so i don't i've been writing a lot of horror like i i've moved into like the horror genre because it's really fun to me there's a lot of adrenaline structurally
0: yeah
1: it feels the same as comedy it's all based on like punchlines or surprises so that's where i'm at
0: okay nice um So can you tell us a bit about your experience uh, with cinema growing up in Saudi, you know, considering that there were no cinemas, like physical cinemas, for a really long time, like years. And how was your cinema interest and knowledge shaped in this environment? And do you feel that the industry has uh, went into a specific direction with the introduction of more cinemas?
1: Mm, wow great questions um very loaded okay (laughs) i want to say that like i i grew up very privileged you know and i assume that people listening to this are going to be privileged as well i hope they're self-aware of it just by the nature of us speaking in english yeah there's an accessibility that true just naturally happens that would not happen if you don't have command or you know knowledge of the language so yeah i grew up you know getting bootleg tapes or even like non-bootleg tapes but like going to the video store
0: yeah
1: and renting and switching out a tape for like five or ten real um but there were legitimately people that could not do it yeah i mean in in my own family like i remember giving my cousin a tape Mm -hmm. and he he's like i was like hey can i get it back he's like oh yeah i cut it like what do you mean he's like there's a guy and a girl kissing and I had to cut it oh,
0: wow. <laughs> and
1: I just like <laughs> imagine the tape being cut. I never got to see the, the crime scene, but you know, and you know, I'm, I feel love and I feel like a tremendous amount of pity, you know, for that person, that child who felt burdened and the responsibility mm. of censoring and being self-righteous. I mean, we were like seven years old, maybe. Wow. So that was the environment that I grew up in, like relatively, no, very privileged.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were, the one thing that kept me grounded is that we were not rich, thank God. Mm
0: -hmm. Now I
1: wish we were rich because I'd be just hanging out in a helicopter. (laughs) But um, yeah, like, I think that's what gave me a, I don't think you can be rich and funny. (laughs) or good looking That's that's (laughs) that's (laughs) that's, because like in the context here here we go we're going to talk about capitalism but in the context of capitalism and the politics of aesthetics like you are the top of the totem if you're rich or if you're good looking and I just don't think I think it's antithetical for you to have a perspective of an outsider if you're either of those two things oh my god if you're both oh my god fuck that (laughs) You know, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, but uh, you can edit it. But yeah, like I think, yeah, so much of my upbringing was watching like relatively commercial stuff, like the Disney stuff. And Mm. uh, I I say this with a lot of disdain, but Yani, I belong to more. No, I don't want to say it. I hate chicken nuggets. But like, (laughs) I was, I was flirting. I was on the fence. I was very close to being a chicken nugget. But yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the thing that saved me is that I couldn't go to English language schools. I went to Arabic schools, and I was really bad at school, so I became a clown, a class clown, and just this joking and constant joking because everything is so it's nihilistic because I was failing all my classes, and mm-hmm. there's only thing I can do is laugh about it. Otherwise, I would cry. Yeah. So that yeah, it was yeah that 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 tiny Venn diagram of like commercial American cinema and then like schoolyard humor and I think that's like I'm somewhere in the middle of that Yeah. Um, and then like once it opened here we go again with the capitalism yani, mm-hmm. it's very the first film that opened was Black Panther and yeah amazing like black visibility and I mean I I, I cried watching the movie yeah. I, I love it and yeah. rest in peace Chadwick Bozeman and I but I think like the symbol the symbolism of screening like at the time, the highest grossing film in cinema's history, it just sent a very clear image and message saying like, this is what we care about. Mm. It is in this neoliberal structure of like, we bring the best and the biggest and the shiniest and the most expensive and most successful as opposed to, um, yeah, like sitting on taking something that is from your organic garden yeah and presenting it to the world as something that is unique to you and and that'll forever break my heart and my my first movie baraka yeah uh, is is on netflix worldwide except for the middle east because we were so sure (laughs) we were going to come out in cinemas we're like oh my god of course we're going to be in cinemas (laughs) like it's happening yeah and the amount of warfare yeah that we had to go through Mm. to get a screen and we got a screened in some countries and then it would be taken down or scheduled at three o'clock in the morning Wow. and you know shout, shout out to Kazem, you know like mm. i know
0: yeah. you
1: all hosted her and yeah. she's a true hero <laughs> uh, I, I cannot and i uh, i really really admire her as a person she's a good friend yes. but what she has done for the industry yes or again like that idea of like visibility on the other side of the spectrum
0: Definitely.
1: is unprecedented and yeah, yeah like Allah like mm. just i i don't think it's so vapid all of the stuff that happens like in terms of film programming mm-hmm. and then buina is like the diamond in the rough with cinema yeah. so I, yeah like That's where I am like again, like spiritually, that's how I'm feeling. There's a lot of bitterness. I'm trying to be optimistic. I want to be romantic about the future. But we're in this hyperloop and this vacuum of like bigger, better, shinier, you know,
0: taller. Like
1: and I and and it's killer. It's real because I can't compete with that. Like there's no way on earth I can make a movie with my friends and compete with a movie that costs $300 million. No. Yeah, so there's that.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I saw a quote today. I might mess it up, but uh, it's when something like your desire for a Starbucks is thwarting the desire for communism. Like, <laughs> it's something <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> And, yeah, uh, it, I just. I mean, like... the
1: thing is, like, most people are not unaware of. Yeah, you know, the the word communism. You're in Beirut, right? Yeah. Like it's the the self the self awareness is way different. <clears throat> the the intellectual civic genealogy is in a different place, and that's why saying the Arab world or the Middle East and all these terms are very problematic because
0: yeah,
1: <clears throat> there's assuming. There's a homogeneity to them that isn't just absolutely untrue. So
0: that's, that's super true. Yeah,
1: you know, I think when I when I look at I'm still talking to kids about like why capitalism is bad. Yeah, you know, or like why? Yeah, <laughs> and it's, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I don't want to have these conversations. I like legitimately don't want to have relationships or I'm having mm-hmm. to teach all the time. It doesn't feel good. I want to have relationships where I'm learning, and I think I have my pockets. Whether it's in Jeddah, Riyadh, Turkey, of course, you know, Cairo is a big center. A lot of times, sadly, I have to like escape to Berlin to find like like like-minded brown people. So I'm hoping that there can be just an alternative. It doesn't have to push out the mm. mainstream but i just mm. wanted there to be like a legitimate alternative
0: yes definitely um yeah and so like f- for example when you tackle such um, such topics like like publicly um for example it's it's an old example but the video you made of uh, no woman no drive like yeah. h- what what was the, the the reception like the the backlash or the positive uh, I
1: mean there's no really no backlash I mean (laughs) (laughs) I think so I will say this on record um a lot of corporate clients
0: Mm. would
1: just say no to my name whenever I was pitched in in you know especially in the UAE Mm. they're like no 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 he's too political and uh, just disappointed yeah like because you know what I was saying was you know I mean now we look back and it's like it was obvious that it was stupid Mm. you know and like it's made full circle to where like the people in charge are like you're still talking about women's rights they're driving what else do you want you know and and so that's the sentiment it's like be grateful and that's always the sentiment Mm. Yeah. And I, really, I don't want to get like too, you know, too somber about it. Yeah. But when when Nouman's drive came out, a lot of people were were banging the song. They were just like, "Hell yeah, this is great. This is they're <laughs> blasting it on their stereo systems and in their cars because the the Arabic subtitles read very seriously." Yeah. You know, we are we all come from the like conservative schooling, so we knew how to word it. And so most people didn't know. And then like my ultimate goal was to make white people think that it was real. Mm. And like, yeah, alhamdulillah, like that happened like full circle. (laughs) Uh, I saw in the comments, it's like, you are a male chauvinist pig, you know, (laughs) you should die. So I'm like, yes. So so that happened, but like on a serious note, it felt like I co-op and I've talked about this a lot, like in interviews and in, sympos- in symposiums and i specifically abstained from like propagating that brand of like hisham is the woman's rights activist mm-hmm. i like declined a bunch of speaking opportunities at big institutions
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh some i regret and some i definitely don't regret like i was invited to to sing at bob marley's birthday in jamaica and i was like no no i can't do that <laughs> mostly because i have a shitty voice but singing voice i love my talking voice um so I felt like we co opted the hashtag. Yeah. Felt like a bunch of dudes made a joke. Yeah. And maybe uh, I'm friends with many of the, activism, the activists mm. who drove in the 90s and drove in the aughts. And they, yeah, like so mostly everybody yeah, he treats me with love and kindness. And I don't know how many people actually harbor resentment, mm. but I just feel a little bit of guilt and and shame about like yeah it feels like we co-opted it it Mm -hmm. feels like we made a joke of the hashtag and in the context of patriarchy and like you know marginalization it just doesn't sit with well with me in hindsight yeah but at the time I thought it was empowerment and yeah it got coverage and yeah I mean like yeah it made opportunities for me but I don't know how much it actually helped women does that make
0: sense yeah and so how would you think that anything would help women now
1: oh god i have no idea i mean like listening to women like just literally not asking stupid guys what we should do for women like i mean just make space and like just shut the fuck up stop (laughs) like there's still symposiums on women that are no women on on the board or on the panel um and it's yeah everybody needs to shut the fuck up uh, all dudes need to take the backseat and <laughs> maybe kill yourself you know like whatever you know like do your thing do 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 your parts uh yeah but like we all have blood on our hands yeah, yeah and everybody benefits from uh, any male. i mean that is why that's how the nature of privilege if you're passive if you're, if you're complacent and yeah. you are like you are an aggressor and i fundamentally believe that and it's that goes for any type of privilege yes whether it's you know class
0: or Cincinnati.
1: color white whatever like i just male obvious is, is one of the big ones yeah. because it's so deeply ingrained in the history but i yeah i have nothing to say they're brilliant women um who've done like the groundwork as far as activists and artists and even likes you know um civil or let me just say like people working in civic spaces so yeah i have nothing like nothing to contribute because it's not my place to say
0: (laughs) beautiful (laughs) um yeah and so so how do you reconcile or maybe how do you manage um Yourself between like the the different cultures and the gap between like for example Saudi and the U.S. and even within Saudi itself, you know, like how do you manage the cultural gaps that? Um...
1: Mm, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if I do. Yeah, I, I I don't yeah. like. <laughs> I'm always angry, as you can hear.
0: <laughs>
1: um, super no bitter to. about everything <laughs> too hypercritical and yeah maybe I and I I just I've, I've seen too much to like just be able to enjoy things mm. and not that I'm like oh my god I'm so aware I'm so conscious it's like it's just it's heavy it's heavy to like be <clears throat> in such disparate spaces and when I was in the states in New York yeah. I was paying to go on stage
0: yeah.
1: and I was performing for maybe 10 people who, who were other comedians. Yeah. And when I went to Saudi, I was playing 2000, 4000 seaters sold out everyone to see me mm-hmm. standing ovations. Mm-hmm. So there's like this crazy contradiction of like, I can't really enjoy my stardom because over here, I'm not a star over yeah. here. I'm just a nobody. Um, With that said, like I've gotten a lot of love and I've, you know, gone through programs and I've gotten the validation Mm. in the West and it isn't about that validation so much, but it's about, that's a funny thing about like Hollywood and Mm. in quotation marks is this, you can be the biggest thing in the world somewhere else, but then nobody knows who you are here if you're not important here. And I like that humility. Yeah, Like I come from like, I guess like this masochistic you know, background where I'm like, I need pain to thrive. But I do, I don't want to drink the Kool-Aid of saying, I am a star. I am absolutely a genius. Uh, like, alhamdulillah, like, legitimately, everything I've done has been a home run in my career, like, back yeah. back home. You know, like, I'm very proud. The people that I've employed, you know, when I was at Tinfaz, I've become the biggest stars and the photographers and filmmakers. Like, yeah. I have an I have an eye for talent. There's so much talent back home. And I, I, I get I get high off of that. Uh, off, yeah. of the, off of the idea that I just I facilitated this or I was part of this alchemy. Um mm-hmm. being in the States is sort of changes the frequency where it's like it changes from you're amazing, you're a genius, please work with us to okay, prove to me that I should work mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm and I'm able to like just keep my head down. I wake up every morning and I'm just writing and writing and writing. And it's nice. It's nice and it's also like really comforting to know that I can go and experiment back home. And relatively people are going to like accept me with love and embrace me. And I've given a lot of, I've given a lot of my heart and soul to the community, to, yes. <clears throat> to the viewers. And I'm proud of it, and we have a relatively healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. But in the social media age, like people are expecting me to do sketches every day, because mm. at one point that's what I was doing. Yeah. But, you know, between a depression and um, just being busy with like longer form content, I just don't have that luxury or that headspace. So there is a bit of resentment of like, why are you talking about politics? And why aren't you making me laugh enough? Yeah. There is a tiny bit of rift there, um, yeah. And I just like every, yeah every week I'm just like oh, I really want to tweet this thing and piss off a bunch of people. <laughs> Maybe it's about getting engagement and getting interaction. But yeah, I'm a, I'm just a naturally again hypercritical person, and I mean that positively and negatively, and something I'm working on.
0: Yeah. So, my last question is um, How do you see the cinema industry developing in Saudi with the current Saudization plan?
1: Um, yikes. I don't know. I mean, I hear about projects that cost, you know, 100 or $200 million that are in English that are yeah. happening. And, white directors and white producers and white screenwriters and I mean I don't know like if it's like if that's what it's going to be and then we get the peanuts like I'm not I'm not going to be happy (laughs) but then again it doesn't matter if I'm happy or not (laughs) because the people in uh, the people that are way more powerful than I am don't don't care if I'm happy or not they have an agenda and they're making these choices whether they're calculated or misinformed Mm -hmm. both are concerning to me
0: yeah
1: yeah I um yeah I don't know I mean I'm holding my breath okay I keep saying that this is this is like the puberty stage Mm -hmm. of what the scene is Mm. and it's either gonna it's it's an ugly duckling right now mm. and it's either going to blossom into a swan a swan or like really turn into a gigantic ugly duckling so mm. there are existing models that happen in the region yani,
0: mm.
1: between everybody's done it i mean like from kuwait to amman to cairo to even abu dhabi even obviously doha and like i know which ones are my favorite mm. and i know which ones are the most deplorable and I yeah. think you can discern which ones I like and which ones I dislike yeah. from our conversation. But if you're not investing, sure, bring foreign productions, but yeah. they need to be caveated yeah. the way. That's why Jordan has such an impressive thing is because they like mandate shadow programs and training and, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff in return to fortify and to harness local talent.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, if you're just bringing a bunch of white people and then giving them money yeah you're you're sort of a dumbass you know like i just if you're not benefiting from them and they're just benefiting you're just you're a clown yeah so yeah that's my two cents
0: yeah that was a great conversation (laughs)
1: thank Thank you you so much (laughs) thank you my pleasure